You're listening to 17 Karat K-Pop. For more about this show, as well as my other podcast, How to Stand, visit 17karatkpop.weebly.com. There you'll find episode guides, as well as additional reading, more exclusive content, tons of great stuff. And never miss an update, an album review, interview, etc. by subscribing to the free newsletter, howtostand.substack.com. You could also become a paying subscriber on Substack, and that means you're supporting an independent creator and become part of a community, howtostand.substack.com. Enjoy the show! Hey everybody, welcome back to 17 Karat K-Pop. Today we have to talk about so much 17 stuff. So much news, my movie recap, lots to get to. So we're just going to dive right in. I want to start by sharing my thoughts on The Power of Love, the movie, which I do go into more in depth in the piece on my Substack, howtostand.substack.com, as well as in the blog section and on the 17 page on 17karatkpop.weebly.com. Let me get my cons out of the way and then get to the many more pros. I would rate this honestly an 8 out of 10. And the reason it's not 10 out of 10, even though I'm obviously a huge carrot, I'm just looking at this very objectively critic-wise. That's how I try to write my reviews, kind of, as much as I can be unbiased. So anyway, it's not about the specific group, but just narrative-wise, not 10 out of 10. I had the same issue I had with the Monster X movie, where I love when an artist does a concert movie, and when an artist does a documentary-style sit-down interview movie. But it seems like every time you try to mash them into one movie, then there's not enough of either. Too much performance or not enough, too much interview or not enough to get interesting. The balance is hard to strike, and it just gets frustrating. The artists who I think deserve full movies also deserve a ton of time to tell their story and really shine in every way. And I just don't think time allots for that in one movie. So again, remember, I'm not trying to pit groups against each other. This is just about the movies themselves. Understand that when I say this, but I do think the best I've seen so far still are BTS's concert and documentary movies. Because they separated totally. They had a docuseries online. They had a separate documentary movie. They had a separate fully just a concert movie. And I think that is still the best route to take because you give fans a chance to learn about and appreciate their story and then a separate time to get immersed in their performances and just soak in the music. It's kind of almost like you're using a different part of your brain, the reflective, contemplative part, and just the catching a vibe, listening to music part, and the back and forth is not for me. Again, not coming for a band or anything, just about the movies themselves, not the artists. I will say Seventeen's was way better than Monster X's because it did at least go a little more in-depth, share a little more information than the Monster X interviews, which were, frankly, lacking substance to a disappointing extent. This time we actually got to hear a bit more about the frustration Mingyu faced directing and doing everything basically on the snapshoot video. We got to hear the reflections on the first win, We got to hear about their different unit writing styles, the story of If I and how different it used to be, stories behind other unit songs. So there was more there. There was, again, quite a bit of rehashing again and again, how grateful they are for the fans, which I love to an extent, but I also want more time on a broader variety of interview topics. So if I were in charge of the editorial decisions of the movie, 
I would probably cut out, narrow down, not performance time necessarily, but I would cut out time of the sappy we love our fan message. Just narrow that down to like one song and a few comments. Not like the whole last fourth of the movie. They're finding even more words to say the same we love you message. Again, it's sweet, but if I was trying to make a decision about balance narratively, I would have cut down on that and used that extra time to extend the interview portion of the show, really further get into their story. And you might be like, well, they kind of already did share their story. After all, they formed on a TV show. We saw their story. We know their story. Then they had the Hit the Road docuseries. So that I get, but then don't do an interview segment at all. I just continue to think the most interesting are when they are solely concert or solely interview movies, and if you must combine them, then it's got to be a longer movie with adequate time to show off their moves and answer deep interview questions. So that's my main issue with it. On the plus side, I know I really enjoyed a movie when two things happen. The day after it, I've been thinking about it. Same with a TV show or something. If I check out some new media and I'm thinking a lot about it the day after, that's kind of one of my psychological cues that it was worth checking out. I enjoyed it. And I have thought about this movie a lot. And another thing is, I think about, is it better to have seen it or not? And of course it was better to have seen it. And I am glad I saw it and I did enjoy it. So then that's another sign. They did a nice job. Honestly, my favorite thing about the movie might be the set list. Somehow, in less than two hours, they packed in a full concert's worth of music. Even room for solo stages, Hoshi's cute power performance, the bittersweet setup and performance was just beautiful, Zero, Hero, Dino solo, nice unit stages and solos, plus the rock remix of Clap that started with Woozy's guitar solo, everything. They really showed off a lot of variety. Not as many title tracks as I thought. Way more b-sides than I expected to hear, which was a very nice surprise. And showed the range, which I think is great. Because with movies like this, I try to think, well, if you're not a fan, if you're just tagging along because you're family or a friend of a Seventeen fan, and you walk into this movie having never listened to them, knowing nothing about them, would you walk away impressed, if not a fan yourself? I would say this time, yeah. There probably were people who left thinking, wow, that discography is really diverse. It runs the gamut. They all have such talent, such synchronization, such a unique creative vision. They're dressed to the nines. Their shimmery eye makeup is to die for. I also like the way they proved their songs are very versatile and malleable because they actually had not just like the rock remix of Clap, but like piano instrumental versions of songs playing as background music when they talked. The piano version of Pinwheel, beautiful. And I like the way they made the show immersive. Not just if you went to a, a surround sound screen theater, but with the fan chanting, the fan singing, Our Dawn is Hotter Than Day. Although I must admit, there was some funny, goofy Town energy when they were told to just kind of freestyle and for the camera look like they were enjoying singing along to that song. It was a little awkward, but funny. Overall, I loved a lot more than I didn't about the movie, and it really reminded me how much it's so nice that they really like each other. It's a true bond with them. Something I elaborate on in that write-up, so I won't hear, but I'll just say, in more ways than one, they really kept their chemistry on full display throughout the movie. Very sweet. The last thing I'll say about this for now, I would have also changed the encore to very nice. 
their trademark encore. Left and right is fun, but nothing beats the very nice encore, especially when you don't expect it. So it'd been cool if it was like after the left and right encore, there was another encore that was very nice. It always comes when you think the show's over. Let's dissect the lyrics now to their new single, Darling. It has a lot of hidden details in it that I think long-term carrots ought to take a moment to stop and appreciate. First of all, in the chorus, they're saying, dialing you, sorry, darling you. They keep saying dialing and then realize, sorry, I meant darling, which I just think is a cute play on word. And the whole 911 calling part of the chorus made me think of call, call, call. You never know if the nod was intentional. They've repeatedly over the years referenced wanting to call someone, picking up the phone, And something else they reference repeatedly is diving, ocean waves. That's what they say in this course too, which they also said in healing, drift away, still lonely, if I, swimming fool, crazy in love, the sea, drowning analogies, just the ocean as a metaphor used constantly in their work. So it's cool to see that again. Also in verse one, Wanwu and Mingyu say the taste of this tequila isn't bitter. A nice subtle nod to bittersweet, their collab. The line, friends see my feet in worry, do you? Made me think of the lyrics about relationships in the digital age in 2 minus 1. Which is clever if that's what they intended to nod to here, because 2 minus 1, and now this song is spelled Darl plus ing, plus minus, you never know. I also think it is so cute that Darling You Hoo Hoo is the chorus, and the You Hoo's were a part of their debut songs, Chorus 2. Really feels full circle. Speaking of circle infinity loop metaphors, they also reference loops, full circle, eternity a lot, and in Darling they say, fighting around in circles, where's the way out? In Very Nice, they said, starting point the ending too, like when we hold our hands together, like a circle, we are endless. Then in Boom Boom, they say, once I've realized you're the root of my happiness, I keep circling around you. So that sense of love, comparing it to an infinity loop, they've done that before too. So they found some new ways to cleverly, intentionally or not, bring to mind their past music, which I just thought was a testament to their artistry and commitment to keeping this through line of authenticity era to era. Woozy pointed out how, when he was working on the pre-chorus, he included a lyric about, we're destined to be together because it's in our DNA, we're compatible blood types, and he said he didn't actually intend to make that comment a nod to Korean culture, but it kind of is because in Western countries, we think more of just zodiac signs when talking about compatibility, which they do too, but in a lot of Asian countries, they actually view blood types as similar to zodiac signs, just in the sense of fate, who's compatible and not. So basically, not just written in the stars, but fate's written in the blood. Fun fact, actually, which I will link to more on my site, if you're a nerdy researcher like me who does deep dives going off of any small comment, you can go down a rabbit hole about this backstory by looking up Masahiko Nomi, this Japanese journalist from the 70s who coined this concept of blood type humanics. This journalist actually was just popularizing views and bringing attention to what was already established by this Polish microbiologist, Ludwig Hersfield, as well as a Japanese professor, Takaji Furukawa. Anyway, blood type humanics. If you're into astrology, you might want to look that up too. 
Now that the title of their fourth full-length album has been revealed to be Face the Sun, out May 27th, this takes on more meaning. I'll skip around a bit, but here is some of the monologue the teaser trailer included for this comeback. The trailer was called New Ring Ceremony, The Sun Rises, spoken by my bias, Joshua. Quote, All 13 of us, who lived in different places with different ways of life, came together and began running toward one single dream, music. We let our limitless potential take flight. Through music that we made with the rings that marked the start of 17 on our fingers. More and more love was sent our way until we were given the chance to meet carrots all over the world. Our rings, the token of our unswerving journey, changed as time passed by, and along the way we became afraid, hurt, and exhausted from feeling caught in a world filled with darkness, even when we fell into lonely, bottomless traps. It was carrots who got us to keep going and never let go. We are forever grateful to Carrots, who happily hitched along on our journey of youth as we sped toward our dreams and goals. We were able to sprint forward because you were there by our side. The pandemic that rattled the whole world held us back, left our plans in shambles, and plunged us all into confusion. But we witnessed the power of love once more. The 13 of us banded together to safeguard 17. Our new story is about to unfold. Our fifth ring. We will now break free from the shadows that shackled us and soar toward the sun. We will be the sun to carrots who cheer for us and to the people the world over and share our music and message with them. I believe that this road that leads to you will never end. My guess is that in the future, when they are inevitably asked about why they call the album Face the Sun, I'm betting money that they're going to say it's because we want to be the sun to carrots, so we encourage them to face us, look up at us, and we'll always be there if you need us. There also seem to be some nods to previous eras throughout this teaser video, cute animations of a paper airplane, reminiscent of Love Letter era, a boat that goes from sailing dark, stormy, choppy waters to levitating, like in the My My video, soaring up above the clouds, reminding me of Oh My and Adore You. The video really is like an animated movie prologue. And it picks up quite nicely where their 2021 theme, The Power of Love, left off. Because I see it as all thematically, naturally connected. It's organically evolving. Because let's think about the releases last year under the Power of Love theme. There was Bittersweet, which asked the question, what's bitter versus sweet in a relationship? Where do feelings transition out of being platonic? How do you know where that point is? What does that really entail? Are you ready for that? Can you handle the bitterness that will come with the greater sweetness? Then the whole group released Not Alone, which was an answer to the questions raised in Bittersweet. That answer being, I don't know, but we're going to figure it out together. Let's go. Next, two very different metaphors got at the same thesis. Spider, Hoshi single, about feeling trapped, tangled in a relationship, constantly back and forth about if feeling tangled up in it is actually a good thing, that you're loving it, or a bad thing you want out. June Solo, Silent Boarding Gate, used a gate metaphor to get at the same thing. Waiting for someone, trying to decide if this is good or not, to have this distant, or the opposite, too close, constant interaction. The eight, released side by side, 
which is him saying, yeah, I'm gonna go for it, trying to woo someone. The whole group ended the year with Power of Love, where they didn't learn the answers, but they have this contentment in just the exploration of love. They weren't trying to solve anything, reach a key destination, just learn what is worth cherishing and soaking in, enjoying the moment with someone. Your choice basically punted questions about a relationship to someone else. And we see a lot of growth because then, their other main release last year, Attica, features the pivot to, all right, I will, like a response to your choice. Then Attica becomes more straightforward, less passive-aggressive, more bold in their approach toward loving someone. They haven't figured out love yet, just that it is worth the confusion. It is worth this headache. It's worth the complexities. It's worth this messiness. It's worth it. So cherish it. Which is what Woozy sings about in the first 17 release of 2022, Ruby. Like, I don't care. I've fallen for her unapologetically. And the 8 in Chen is really just enjoying his love as well. So we do see this evolution, even just in the context of their whole career. The ways they started out singing about being shy, nervous to approach a crush, tongue-tied, and now they're much more forthright and ready to dive in to these intense emotions and relationships. Their maturity and growth is an inherent part of their continuous story that I'm very excited to see unfold yet again. I do just want to go over some quick headlines before I let you go. First of all, Seventeen and Carrotland happened. It was a three-day event at the end of March with some sweet ending mints. That was when they revealed Darling came out, the new single. That's also where they revealed a world tour is coming later this year. They had a lot of fun dance segments too. Dancing to La Lisa, Dum Dum by Jen Somi, Roller Coaster by Chun Ha. Just let their inner goofiness out. They also helped kick off the Today at Apple series. So at Apple stores in Korea, you can now use GarageBand to recreate their music, make a 17 remix, as part of this creative initiative in select Apple stores across Asia. They also had a new MTV Fresh Out stage for their new song Darling, which hit number one on iTunes in over 30 regions. Esku Mingyu and Junhan are the newest Home Plus cover stars for May. Wanwu's mother passed away, so my thoughts and prayers are with him. I was honestly very surprised how quickly he just resumed activities with the others, really hoping he wasn't rushed back into it. I hope he had some time to just grieve. And lastly, a new text alert service is up, so make sure you message 1-310-861-6817 for text alerts. And you can now sign up for their email alerts at digital.umusic.com backslash 17 hyphen darling. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Lots more, both related to and not related to 17, coming up on the show very soon. So stay tuned. Lots to look forward to. Remember, if I'm not busy here, I'm busy on Substack. Or if Substack's quiet, I'm busy on the podcast feed. Sometimes busy on both, but I'm always up to something. So subscribe and stay tuned. Thank you all again, and I'll talk to you all soon. Bye, everyone.